out the notes? Since May. We've been studying this small little letter of uh, six chapters since May. Uh, there's so much truth in it, so much that we've uh, learned about the gospel, about what the gospel means and how it really touches every area of our life. And, and I hope that you've been able to make most of the uh, services and, and been able to study with us as we study through this book of Galatians. Two weeks ago, we, we started chapter number five. And uh, as we got into chapter number five, we said that uh, there's a, a little bit of a, of a shift, a little bit of a pivot, as now the Apostle Paul begins to get practical about all that he has shared. And chapter five and chapter six are all about living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in chapters one through four, he's contrasting the life of grace and the life of of law, the life of good works uh, to be saved by or to, to have God's favor, and contrasting that with a life of faith and receiving God's favor just by faith and the work of Christ on the cross. Now, if we're going to live a life of faith, then we have to live that life by the power of the Spirit. And chapter 5 is all about that. It's all about the freedom that we have. And two weeks ago, we, we learned that if we're going to live by the Spirit, there are things that we have to stand fast in, things that we need to stand against. Uh, we saw that in verse uh, 2 and 3 of chapter 5. And then things that we need to stand in, which is the righteousness of Christ. And so any Spirit-led and Spirit-filled Christian will be living by standing, okay? What we want to learn about today in this passage is about staying in the race. We're going to be reading from verse number 7 of chapter 5 down to verse number 12. And you're going to notice this theme that the Apostle Paul begins to share, and that is staying in the race. A spirit-filled Christian will stay in the race. Now, what do you mean, or what do I mean by staying in the race? Well, the Christian life can be seen as a race that is being run. In fact, the Apostle Paul often would uh, give the analogy or the illustration of uh, running a race uh, and the Christian life. In other words, that the Christian life uh, can, can be seen as uh, a person that is running a race. There is a goal, there is a finish line that we're trying to reach. And that finish line and that goal is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for instance, the, that the Apostle Paul says that we ought to bring our body into submission uh, so that we might uh, reach that goal, so that we might receive uh, the crown. Uh, and so we find that the Apostle Paul uses this a lot, this of running a race. Uh, a lot of uh, the Christian life is compared to us as running a race. But in order to finish the race that we are running, we must run well, and just stay in it. I like what uh, the Olympic runner Bernard Lagat uh, answered when he was asked. Uh, he was an Olympic runner. He's from Kenya. And the, uh, the reporter asked him, listen, Bernard, uh, we've noticed that there's a lot of your countrymen, a lot of people from Africa uh, that are world-class runners. They are, they are amazing runners. They, they win a lot of marathons. Well, what is the secret to that? What, why is it that, uh, that you guys in, in your country of Kenya are such good runners? And, and Bernard answered this way. He thought about it. And then he said, I think it might be the signs that are there in Africa. They all say, beware of lions. Right? We're running a lot. We're running a lot. And you know, the Christian life is much that way. 
there is a lion that is the devil that walketh about roaring, seeking whom he may devour. And, and that lion had gotten into the church of Galatia and began to confuse them and began to uh, lead them down a path that, that would teach that in order to have God's favor in your life, you have to do good works. You have to be this and do this so that you can have salvation. And the Apostle Paul was telling them that's false teaching. That's a false gospel. You must understand that it's not our works that God honors, but the work of Christ on the cross. It's, it's his work and his blood that gives us salvation. And when we understand that, when that is something that not only we believe, but we begin to apply in the different areas of our life, then it allows us to stay in the race. It allows us to go ahead and finish this race that is the Christian life. And, and to do that, to be able to apply that truth of staying in the race, we, we have to make some decisions today. And so you'll notice in verse number 7, all the way down to number, verse number 12, that Paul is encouraging the Christians in Galatia to make some decisions. And there's going to be two that we're going to talk about this morning. But I want you to notice what he writes. Look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 7. He writes this. He says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. What is the Apostle Paul here encouraging them to do to stay in this race? He starts off by saying, man, you started the race well, but you've been hindered. That word hindered means stopped. You've been detained. You've been, you've been running into a roadblock. Who led you down that path? Who put that roadblock? Why are you... Why are you going that way? And he says, if you're going to avoid that and continue in the race that you have started, you're going to have to make a few decisions. You're going to have to make at least two decisions that we'll see in this passage. The first decision you'll notice is decision to avoid roadblocks. Now, roadblocks are those things in life that stop you from advancing on your way. On a roadway, it could be an accident or, or construction that blocks you. We know that very well where we live, right? I mean, there is tons of construction. Just try to make your way to, to Donna or Westlaco, and, and you'll find that there's a lot of roadblocks. There is uh, things that will obstruct your way to get there. A roadblock is anything that is, is stopping you or holding you back from going forward. In fact, the word hinder here is the Greek word anakopto, which means to beat back, to hold back. And so Paul is saying in the Christian life, you Galatians, you must understand there are things that are trying to hold you back. You're running this race, but if you're not careful, you can, you can stop running. You can be deterred. You can run into a roadblock. So he says you need to determine, first of all, to avoid those roadblocks in your life, in your Christian walk. Avoid those roadblocks. And what's the first roadblock that he talks about? Notice, if you will, the first one is the roadblock of religiousness. Religiousness. Religiousness 
always sounds so good and right. Religiousness feels like it could be true and honest. But in reality, religiousness is nothing more than our pride being reinforced and our flesh being fed. It is something that grows bigger and bigger and bigger. He says, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? He said, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. In other words, it's not God that put this roadblock there. It's not God that is leading you to live a life of just good works so that you can merit his favor, so you can earn his love. God didn't teach that. God is not for that. So if you're running into that roadblock, why are you running into that roadblock? And the reason is religiousness. Religiosity, I guess, is the word. Uh, Just this idea of of having religion run my life. And, And religion, the difference between a relationship with Christ and a religion in Christ is that really religion likes to focus on the works. A works-based salvation, a works-based earning or merit of God's love. And Paul says, you know that God loves you whether you're doing good works or not. You know that the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you know that God loved someone as evil as Hitler as much as he loves you and me today? That might be hard to comprehend. We say, how can uh, a God is all-knowing and all-seeing love a man like that? And the answer is because it was sin that drove that man to do what he did. To fulfill the atrocities and, and, and do all that he did in that time. It was sin. And you know what? That same sin dwells in us. And if we're not careful, that same sin will take us down that same path. You say, oh, pastor, I've not killed anybody. I've not asked for any kind of mass murder to be done. No. But the Bible says if we are unkind and if we are lying about others, it's like we murdered them. In other words, we, we might not physically be doing those atrocities, but we might be doing it spiritually. And that's why God's love is not really dependent upon our good works. It's dependent because he's an all-loving God. It's dependent on him being merciful merciful and forgiving and a God of peace. So Paul says, avoid the roadblocks that is religiousness. This idea of somehow earning your way into God's favor. He says, didn't you notice, in verse number nine, he gives a phrase, he says, didn't you notice that a little bit of leaven leaveneth the whole lump? A little bit of leaven in the dough will make the, the bread begin to expand. And he says, you know, when you get into a life of religion, it just starts growing and growing and growing. It can't be stopped. I remember in uh, 1958, I don't remember, I wasn't alive then, but I mean, in 1958, I should say, there was a movie that came out that uh, some may be familiar with. The movie was called The Blob. If you're not really too familiar with The Blob, it was uh, Steve McQueen's first like big, big hit movie. And, and uh, it was considered a horror film at that time. Far from what a horror film would be today, okay? This would be more like, I don't know, a kid's movie, I guess. But um, it, it's, it's not as maybe scary as, as some that would think of a horror film today. 
But the, the storyline, if you don't know the storyline about the blob, the storyline is that there's this meteorite that falls, and there's this alien that's in the meteorite, and when it falls, uh, there's this uh, uh, older man at the beginning of the movie that goes and, and uh, just to check it out, because uh, obviously it made a big, uh, big splash, and he goes to check it out, and he sees this, this thing that was left by the meteorite, and he, and he pokes it, and this blob like oozes out of it. And it actually grabs a, a hold of his hand, and, and then he can't like get his hand free from it. And at that time, uh, Steve McQueen, who's the, the, the famous actor there, uh, his character and, and his girlfriend go, and they pick him up, take him to the doctor, and, uh, and then they start trying to get help without realizing that uh, while they're gone trying to get the police and other people to help, that the blob begins to consume that man and and of course, since he's at the doctor's office, it gets the nurse, and then it gets the doctor, and then, uh, then uh, nobody in the, in, in the uh, city wants to believe them, because by the time they get back uh, to the office, the doctor's gone, the nurse is gone, the blob's gone. And then later in the movie, it reappears, and it begins to just start eating everything. In fact, near the end of the movie, it's bigger, and it's about the size of a building. And you know how they kill it? You gotta watch the movie, all right? Uh, that's just a teaser. Watch the movie; you'll find how they, they kill. But it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I say that because you know, when you start living a life of religion, that's what happens. Religiousness it just gets bigger and bigger. You start feeding that and saying, you know what? God loves me more because I'm doing this and this, and I'm I'm so much more spiritual than everybody else because I'm doing this and this and this. And suddenly, you'll find that all of these rules that you're creating for yourself get bigger and bigger and bigger, and the list gets longer and longer and longer and longer. That's why Paul was, was warning them, hey, listen, Gentiles, you don't need circumcision. It's not going to avail you of anything. It's not going to make God love you anymore. And then he says, you know, but, but, but the danger is if you accept circumcision, then now you've got to accept the rest of the law. And that's going to be your dietary uh, foods that you're going to be eating. And it's going to affect uh, how you dress. And then it's going to affect uh, where you can go. And it's going to affect all kinds of things. And, and before you know it, the list is about 613 commandments. Because it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And that's why Paul keeps coming back to this over and over in this letter. He keeps saying, don't you understand we have freedom? We have liberty in Christ. Uh, we, we can go right past this roadblock. You can avoid that roadblock because religion, will, it'll stop you. It'll drain you. It'll keep you back. He said, avoid the roadblock of religiousness, but also the roadblock of false teachings. False teachings. It's when you uh, grow in this knowledge of wrong doctrine. You know, as Baptists, one of our distinctives is that we believe that the Bible is our final authority in all faith and practice. In other words, if the Bible doesn't say it, we're just not going to practice it. Right? As a doctrine in which we are going to live by, we, we must find where it is in Scripture. Where, where does the Bible say that that is the truth and, and that we must follow that? Where, where in the Bible does that teach us that? And what the Apostle Paul was trying to clarify in the mind of the Galatians was, yeah, these false teachers are coming in and they're trying to use the Bible, but they're giving you false teaching. Some of it's not even in the Bible. You can find 613 commandments in the book of Deuteronomy, really through the book of Exodus all the way to the book of Deuteronomy. You can find that. But you know that the rabbis taught way more than that? They would add to those things. 
as we've been learning through this series, they, they would talk about how far you could walk and not walk on the Sabbath. They talk about what you could have and not have and what you could own and not own and, and how you could relate to some people and not relate to others. In fact, many of the Jews were taught, you can't talk to people that are not Jews. Be careful with them. They're going to contaminate you if you get around them too much. That's what they were taught. I think today we would call that as a form of racism. Only my race is good. Your race is not. That's what they were taught. So Paul is telling them, careful. Avoid the roadblock of false teachings. The Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul writes Timothy saying, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And with that, because the Bible is all truth, we must rightly divide the truth. In fact, if you go in 2 Timothy chapter 2, just a little earlier in verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you're going to avoid false doctrine in your life, if you're going to avoid that roadblock that will keep you from continuing in the race of the Christian life, you're going to have to study yourself to be approved. You're going to have to rightly divide the word of truth. That means, what does the Bible say? And what does it mean when it says it? What's the Bible teaching in this that we should do in this situation or in this circumstance? What does God want us to know? Why did God even have Moses write the book of Genesis? Why do we need to know that history? What's God trying to tell us with that history? Or the book of Exodus? Or a little book in the middle of the Bible like the prophet Micah? Why do we need that book? The, the prophet Nathan, what, what is it teaching us about God? Or what is God trying to tell us that we need to know? Rightly dividing the word of truth is understanding, okay, I got to study the word of God to see how is it applying to me? I've used this um, illustration before, but from what I understand and from what I know, my, my mom used to be a, a bank teller. And the way that they would train the employees to spot fake money is not by giving them fake money. In fact, they, they were rarely ever touching fake money. The way that you train a teller, at least back then, I don't know about now, but back then, the way that they would train them is they would give them and let them handle real money all the time. You just get used to handling real money, counting real money, and, 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 and moving real money. And your skin actually will begin to feel and know what real money feels like. And what they would do is near the end, after training so many hours handling real money, they would throw one or two bills that were fake in the training. And almost to a person, they would be able, as they were counting, to go, oh, there's something, this feels different. There's something different about this. It's fake. And sure enough, they were right. That bill would be fake. Even though it looked real, even though it had the, the color that looked real and it had the pictures and the words that looked real, they knew it was fake by that paper. And Paul is saying much the same. If you're going to avoid the roadblock of religiousness, if you're going to avoid the roadblock of wrong teaching, get to know right teaching. That's, so, that's why it's so important that we're in God's word all the time. That's why it's so important to, to come back to church. 
You say, oh, because we need good numbers. Well, I don't, who cares about the numbers? What we need is Christians that know the truth. Because it's the truth that will set us free. It's the truth that's the antidote to the disease of sin in our society. It's the truth that will help others avoid the roadblocks in their life. Truth. Paul shares here, the first decision you've got to make is avoid roadblocks. Let me give you the second one and we'll be done. Advance the gospel. Advance the gospel. Now, because we are humans with a fallen nature, it's easier for us to get distracted from what our main purpose is. And the main purpose is not going to church or teaching a class or getting baptized or memorizing scripture. Our main purpose is to advance the gospel message. That's, that's, that's our purpose. That's what, that's what God has called us to do, each and every one of us, not just pastors, not just missionaries, each and every one of us. He told all of his disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what Mark says. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, he says we're to be salt of the earth and light of the world. By the time you get to chapter 28 and verse 19, he's saying you need to go into all the world. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I've commanded. We find that we're to advance the gospel. And, and once you get into verse number 10, verse number 11, and verse number 12, Paul writes this. He says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. You're not going to run into the roadblocks anymore. You're not going to have that kind of mindset, he says. But he that troubles you shall bear his judgment whosoever he is. Whoever's trying to lead you with their false doctrine and with their religious teaching. Listen, I, I'm pretty confident that you're not going to keep following that. And I'm pretty confident you're going to advance the gospel. And I, brethren, he says, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. In other words, people were saying of him, these false teachers, well, well, Paul's all for circumcision. He told Timothy to get circumcised. He's for circumcision. And they're starting to twist Paul's words and try to use them against him. And Paul was teaching those that were of Jewish descent. He was trying to reach them with the gospel and trying to tell them that it's not the law that's going to save them, but faith in Christ. And in order to reach them, Timothy, who was half Jewish, he said, I, I need you to get circumcised. They're not, not going to listen to you. They've been taught. You don't talk to anyone that's not your race. So in order to try to reach them, Paul said, listen, let's, let's just do that. Make that decision. And Timothy, uh, to his credit, was willing to do that. But then you have Titus, which we learned at in chapter 2 of this book of Galatians, that Paul said, no, he doesn't need to get circumcised. He's Gentile. He, that, that, it, circumcision and, and not being circumcised has nothing to do with our relationship with God. But now people are trying to use that against him. And Paul said, listen, if I preach that, if I did preach about circumcision, why would they be persecuting me? That's what they're saying that, you know, they're against, of, of me not pushing circumcision enough. He said, but here's the reason why I don't want to come across and, and let you say, well, let's, you know, get circumcised or don't get circumcised. He said, None of that avails you to anything with God. And here's the, here's the bad part. It can be used to make the cross or the gospel of none effect. He said, what these false teachers are saying is, if you just get circumcised, 
God, you know, God's good with you. You're part of the of the Israel nation now and you don't need the cross. And then Jesus died in vain. And Paul said, listen, that's not the gospel. Fulfilling the law is not the gospel. Faith in the work of Christ, that's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel. That's what we believe. That's what transformed us. So make the decision of advancing the gospel. How do we do this? We do this in the midst of misunderstandings and lies. We share the gospel message even when we are being misunderstood. Paul was being misunderstood. Paul was being lied about about what his ministry was all about and the message was all about. Paul didn't let him stop, that stop him. Paul continued with the gospel. In fact, I put in your notes 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 down to verse number 20. He was telling Timothy to war a good warfare. Fight a good fight. Hold the faith in good conscience. And he said, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And he names two of them, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Paul said, I've delivered them unto Satan. Because they're confusing people. They're doing their own work. They're doing the devil's work, if you want to put it that way, not God's work. They're lying about me. They're, they're trying to twist and mis- make people misunderstand the teaching that I have of the gospel. But he said, that's not going to stop me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. So through misunderstandings and through lies, Paul wanted to advance the gospel, but also with intensity and conviction. We must advance the gospel with intensity and conviction. When you get to verse number 12, I want you to notice the conviction. In the King James, it translates, I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. In the New Living Translation, you would find it said, I wish that they would mutilate you themselves and quit asking you to mutilate yourself. That's pretty strong words. The Apostle Paul wasn't doing that for effect, just to, ah. Uh, but you can see, I mean, you could almost hear the passion in that written word. He's saying, what they're teaching you is so bad about circumcision, I wish they would just cut off that whole member from their body that they would just castrate themselves. That's what he means when he says, I wish that they were cut off. It means I wish that they would just castrate themselves. That's how intense he is about how wrong about what they're doing. How wrong they are in what they're sharing in the false teachings and in the religiousness that they're teaching these people in Galatia. He's saying, man, I wish that would happen. Why? Because he wanted to advance the gospel. Let me just say, I'm not all for right now going on Facebook and saying, if you don't like the gospel, you can castrate yourself. And that's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's not what the Apostle Paul was doing when he said that. But he was making something clear. We ought to have a conviction about what the gospel is and what the gospel does. There ought to be an intensity that says, when there's some false teaching out there, we're going we're gonna to teach against that. When there's a church that says, if you can just follow through these seven sacraments, heaven's waiting for you. That's not true. 
when there's a church that says, well, uh, Jesus really isn't God. He's just kind of the, the son of God. He's just like one of, of many gods. No, he's not. He is God in the flesh. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That is Jesus Christ. When there's a church out there that's preaching or teaching false doctrine, we're going to stand against it. There's one that's saying, well, you know what? I just think a man should be able to be married two or three or four or five or 55 times. It doesn't matter. No, it does matter. The Bible says the husband of one wife, the wife of one husband. That kind of false teaching we're going to stand against. Why? Because we are here and called to advance the gospel. Advance the gospel. This morning, if we're going to be spirit-filled and spirit-led, two crucial decisions. Number one, avoid the roadblocks. You want to finish the race that you've been called to? Through Christ, avoid the roadblocks. Don't let religion take over in your life. This religiousness of, man, I got to do this for these good works so that God loves me. Listen, God will love you. What's better than good works, a life of faith is better. Living by faith is better. Now, we're going to get into how practical that can be starting next week in verse number 13. Paul starts to be a little more specific on living by the Spirit and by faith and how that's manifested. But just for today, just for today, Avoid allowing religion to get in a hold of your life and this false doctrine. Don't allow that. It, it'll, it'll mess us up and it'll get us off the path. The second decision is advance the gospel. Filter everything in your life through the gospel. Listening to um, a sports talk show called The Dan Patrick Show and um, last week they had Tim Tebow on there. Some that are into sports would know Tim Tebow. He was the quarterback of the Florida Gators, won a national championship, went to the NFL, and won a playoff game with the Denver Broncos. And what I love most about Tim Tebow is not his athletic ability, who he's very gifted, played professional um, football, played professional uh, baseball in the minor leagues for the New York Mets. Very talented. I praise God for his talent. He's, he's an amazing talent. But I really appreciate about Tim Tebow is the message that he gives of the gospel. Even on that radio program, talks about his, he would talk about his faith. Even on national TV, on ESPN, he'd talk about his faith. Or if he's on CBS or ABC or whatever station he uh, gets on, he always says, man, I, just, I thank God for the opportunity that I can share my faith with people. And you should hear him talk. Man, he gets intense about it. He's got a conviction about what the gospel can do. I'm simply saying to us this morning, if we're going to stay in the race, got to advance the gospel. Every opportunity God gives us, share the gospel. Share that message that's a transforming message. That way we might get to the finish line and Hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. This morning, two decisions. Avoid roadblocks, advance the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word.
Thank you for the truth that we find in it. Father, it's, it's amazing when we think about just how transforming your gospel is. How it leads us to live a life that is spirit-filled. One that is guided and informed and empowered by your spirit. It's enabled to do way beyond what we ask or think. Way beyond what we could even imagine could be done. And so this morning, Father, as we study this short passage of what a spirit-filled Christian does, I pray that we would apply that truth into our lives so that we might stay in the race. Help us, Father, to be able to be spirit-led in all that we do. Help us to avoid any kind of religiousness in our life or wrong teaching, wrong doctrine. Give us your wisdom, your understanding that as we study more and more of your word, we would see the truth and know the truth and walk in truth and live it every day by that truth. Because we need it, Father. Work in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.